The word of God declares, Whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Further, God's word sets forth that Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Now, how can that be? When in my experience, my sin is ever before me, every moment of every day, whether it be in my thoughts, my words, or my actions, I can say with the abased people of God, and that to my own shame and no one else's, my sin is ever before me. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? What a blessing it is to rejoice in the answer to my crying heart. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Indeed, I thank God for him. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for teaching me that though I see this old man, this slithering monster of iniquity that is warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. Blessed be his name. My God has taught me by his spirit, his son shall save me from my transgressions and my iniquities. Beloved, it is because of that new man formed in me, formed in you, Christ. Beloved, his seed remaineth in me, and he never sins, does not commit sin, and is forever seeing, owning, and confessing the sin of that old slithering man in me. The new man, Christ in me, is stronger than that old man of flesh. Our brother Paul sets forth, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That is Christ in me, beloved. That is Christ in you, beloved. We delight to see that he who is in us has perfectly kept the law of God in our place as our substitute. And our love for him constrains us to please Christ, thanking him and expressing our gratitude for his having redeemed us from the curse of the law. Beloved, we no longer serve ourselves, but because we are not our own and bought with his precious blood, we endeavor to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which belong to him alone. Christ Jesus, our Lord and God. And beloved, though we endeavor to do good and glorify God in our body, we find again and again evil is present with us. But no matter, we delight in the law of God after the inward, sinless, spotless man of God, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body, the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. You, believer, have repented toward God and have faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, what you once believed, you no longer believe that. You who are saved by God's grace, indeed saved by the grace of God, perhaps you once thought you were a good person. But now you are made alive by the power of God through the preaching of the gospel and every idle word, 
every vain thought, every work of iniquity has been repented of. And instead of not believing, you now believe on the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the testimony given him through God's own word. What is an idle word? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. And look there with me in verse 35. Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. Our Lord declares, A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of, the ju- of judgment. Verse 37. For by, the wor- by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. The unbeliever, or as the Lord calls him, an evil man, brings forth evil out of his heart and out through his mouth, saying such things as, I'm not that bad. Actually, I'm a good person. Why are those idle words? Because they are lies. They are the lies that a fallen man tells himself and others. And if he does not repent of such words, he will be condemned. My friend, you are not good before God. Not one of us is well-pleasing in his sight, save for one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. What is a vain thought? The unbeliever thinks to himself such things as, God is out to get me. God is a tyrant and vainly makes him out to be a hard man. Why are those vain thoughts? Because they are lies. That a fallen man vainly tries to injure and impugn the holy, loving, merciful character of God. My friend, the Lord God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Our Lord God is good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, all who call upon the name of our Lord. Our Lord God is full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Our Lord God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. My friend, all of God's people hope in the Lord For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. What is a work of iniquity? The unbeliever says, I'm not complete through what Christ has done, and works iniquity in word and deed, saying, Christ has done his part, but now I must do my part to be saved. Why is that a work of iniquity? Because it is a lie. Rather than receive the word of God, the fallen man rejects that God's people are complete in Christ. The unbeliever rejects that the Lord Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith 
and indeed the captain of our salvation. The unbeliever's every work is a work of iniquity that comes forth from his being ignorant of God's righteousness in Christ. And so he goes about to establish his own righteousness, having not submitted to the righteousness of God in Christ. What a horrible lie iniquity is. What evil becomes the restlessness of the unbelieving heart? Everything the unbeliever does is a work of iniquity that, that restrains his rebellion of not believing God. He pretentiously makes God out to be a liar. How does the unbeliever do this? By not believing the record that God gave of his son. My friend, forsake your way. Forsake your thoughts. If you return to God, if you come to Christ, it would be because God let you. He will have mercy upon those who come to Christ, and through him, our Lord and God, he will abundantly, <laughs> abundantly pardon. We read that in the Gospel of Isaiah. <laughs> Beloved, God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Beloved, we have now received a full and complete reconciliation by the blood and righteousness of Christ. By his doing and dying, beloved, as our representative substitutionary man. Turn with me to the book of James. Chapter 3. James writes in verse 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Our subject this evening is the tongue. We will consider it under the following three headings. What does God's word say regarding the tongue? What does the tongue do? What will be done to it at the last? As we've already read in James chapter 3, the tongue is called a fire. James writes in verse 6, the tongue is a fire. And though in of itself it is a little thing, like a spark, it may kindle great matters of destruction. Now, while a fire may burn down neighborhoods and whole cities, the fire of the tongue is much more destructive as it may consume a person's character, reputation, and may even, if left unattended, will utterly destroy the soul of a man. Our Lord says of the unruly tongue, 
the unruly tongue of the ungodly, that by it thou shalt be condemned. My friend, seek the Lord to tame your tongue and change your heart, that you may speak such words through which you shalt be justified. Now, in addition to being called a fire, the tongue is also called a deadly poison. James writes in verse 8, The tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Beloved, just like any poison, the deadly after effects of it are not discovered until it has brought its lethal effect to the very heart of the victim. Is this not how Eve was deceived? That serpent Satan moved his tongue and pushed out his doubting, questioning venom. Did God really say? Satan's venom is the venom of discussion. My friend, some things ought never be to be discussed. Don't taste the poison of that tongue that vainly brings to you the superstition of lies and falsehoods. Beloved, avoid profane and vain babblings and the oppositions of so-called science. Just as you would not taste, test poison to see if its effect is deadly or merely dulls your senses, avoid it altogether. O my soul, come not thou into their secret. My daughter, my son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. Now, in addition to being called a fire and a deadly poison, God's word calls the tongue a sword, and a sharp sword it is indeed. How very aptly is it called a sharp sword? For the words that roll off the tongue may indeed, like a sharp sword, cut and wound deeply. That bitter word, that reproachful, cutting word that sadly is so prevalent in the day-to-day discourse of the world, that jesting, unkind sarcasm at someone else's expense. How many have been cut, stabbed, and sliced by the unruly sword of the tongue? Or worse yet, how many have we cut, stabbed, and sliced by the unruly sword of our own tongues? We read about our sister in Christ, Hannah, how that her adversary provoked her sore, to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb and with the sword of her tongue, Penea provoked her and Hannah wept and did not eat. My friend, is your tongue drawn out like a sword to use as a weapon to harm others? Return it to its sheath. Our Lord tells us And though he is speaking of a literal sword, I believe the lesson may be applied to any weapon drawn to to harm to another. My friend, put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. James also likens the tongue to an untamed beast. James writes in chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, that while the beasts may be tamed, he intimates that the tongue is such a beast that no man can tame it. He writes, Every kind of beasts 
and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. Well, who can tame this unruly member in our mouth then? Beloved, only he who may declare to the raging sea, be still, and all is calm, can quiet the raging of our evil and unruly tongue. Beloved, take notice of these solemn words that the Holy Spirit sets forth here by his servant James. The tongue can no man tame. Oh, how we ought to pray with the psalmist. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. Now, in addition to the tongue being referred to as a fire, a deadly poison, a weapon, an untamed beast, God's word sets forth sets it forth as a world of iniquity. The wickedness and evil of the tongue is of such vast proportions that it is called a world of iniquity. To set forth the unspeakable evil of its nature, the Holy Spirit sets forth that the tongue is a world of iniquity. So vast, so horrible is the evil of the tongue that the height, depth, and length of it cannot be fully known by the feeble powers of man. It is only fully known to him who is acquainted with all our ways. As the psalmist declares, there is not a word in my tongue But lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Even before the wicked member moves, our Lord knows that the imagination and thoughts that move it are only evil continually. O may the Lord deliver us from the evil of our tongue. May he be pleased to use what we have heard thus far to move us to consider our ways and beg him to tame what we cannot. Now that we have already considered some of its descriptions, let us consider further what this little member does. Now, the tongue may be idle or not idle. That is, the tongue may be idle for good and not idle for evil. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Pick up reading there in verse 13. And withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. Notice that the words idle and busy, the apostle is, with those words, the apostle is describing the very same person. The person he is describing is a person who is idle with regard to God's glory and busy in the service of the devil. How many there are that are busy bodies, busy in the affairs of other people's lives, taking in the latest gossip and busying themselves in vain chit-chat? How true it is, beloved, the more words we have flying off our tongues, How applicable is that wisdom that sets forth that in the multitude of words there is not a lack of sin? Wisdom declares 
In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Beloved, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Another thing that the tongue does, it sends forth lying words that indeed become lying lips. Speaking lies from the womb, we flatter ourselves that we are good. Wisdom declares most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find? Where will you find a faithful man? Only among God's people that see in the light of that one faithful man that no one is good, no, not one, save the Lord Jesus Christ. Among the ungodly, rather than hear a tongue that glorifies the Lord and hear it boast of him who was sent into the world to save sinners, among the ungodly, you hear a tongue that exaggerates and glories in self. My friend, flattery worketh ruin. Oh, the lying tongue of insincerity, the lie of insincere politeness that expresses insincere interest when none is felt. The seller with lying lips that lies to deceive the buyer, his equal, the buyer with lying lips that lies to deceive the seller before the purchase is made, saying, it is not, it is not, and then goes away and boasts about the new treasure he just purchased. Beloved, lying lips are an abomination unto the Lord. God grant us to forsake the slightest deviation from the truth, for God's word sets forth that all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire. Whether the lying lips be our own or others, cry out with the psalmist, beloved, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What further descriptions does God's word set forth of this world of iniquity, the tongue? James tells us that it is a member that defileth. In stark contrast with that fervent love that covers the multitude of sins, that seeks after peace with all men, the tongue is a defiling member that lays open and exposes to view the infirmities, faults, and sins of others. Those that know not the way of peace with a defiling tongue whisper, backbite, and receive not the exhortation that God sets forth to his beloved people in Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning there in verse 31. Beloved, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. O beloved child of God, heed the exhortation of God's word. James writes in chapter 4, verse 11, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. Our Lord teaches his people ever so blessedly in Matthew chapter 7, if you'll turn there with me, Matthew chapter 7. 
verse 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judged, judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, might, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam, a log, is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Beloved child of God, till thou hast no more faults yourself, hide your brother's faults. Or go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. May God grant us grace to heed the words of our Lord and keep them. Our Lord declares, As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Oh, may God's love and grace in Christ constrain us to do just that. The blasphemer's tongue, too, heaps up wrath. The prophet Jeremiah sets forth, Because of swearing, the land mourneth. The promises of the ungodly are bringing down judgments from the Lord, and the land mourneth. You who are so quick to promise... Heed the Lord's warning, you who are so thoughtless to make promises and swear oaths. Our Lord declares, I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by the head, thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black, but let your conversation be, yea, yea. Nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. O beloved, how we ought to take great care that we are not bound to an oath or a promise by our careless words that drop out of our mouth so easily. While you and I may forget, there is one who forgetteth not. Indeed, there is one who hears and will also bring to remembrance. Be warned in time. Ask for the grace of God that saves his people from their iniquities. Just as sure as he saves them from the sin of their transgressions, lest ye be gathered with blasphemers into that pit that is digged for the wicked. The last thing I would draw your attention to is found in verse 6 of James chapter 3. James writes in the latter part there that the tongue, it is set on fire of hell. Stony hard is the natural heart of man and so filthy the tongue connected to it that it delights to set forth by the words of it the very fire and breath of hell. Such a little member in the mouth, moving the feet of the reprobate, swift in running into evil. 
indeed into hell itself. Such are the words and works of the ungodly tongue. Such are the doings of one of those members which God has given us whereby and wherewith to glorify his name. Psalm 120, verse 3. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? And we read the answer in verse 4. Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. My friend, lying lips are but for a moment. The end will come when men shall reap that which they have sown. So what shall be done to the lying tongue, the false tongue? It shall be exposed. Our Lord declares, There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. For those who are altogether without Christ, they will discover suddenly, like a thief in the night, that the words that they have spoken, and not not a few, but many, indeed a great many, will not be forgotten. But because they have not been put away by Christ, they will be exposed before angels and before men and all their sinfulness. Though some are laid open here below, Others will walk the earth until their appointed time, and like other men die, perhaps in an accident suddenly, or when they go to bed at night, we all die, beloved. But in awakening from the sleep of death, it will not be for the reprobate, the blissful translation of the believer but rather it will be a fearful thing for the reprobate to discover all their sins and iniquities are not forgotten and shall be their shame forevermore. Praise the Lord that there is so great a salvation for sinners. In Christ, there is a refuge for sinners, a true and faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God has revealed to you that's all you are. Rejoice with us, beloved. Christ Jesus did not come into the world to try and save sinners. He came into the world to save sinners. Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Lest judgment threatened be judgment executed, and thy soul be cast out into outer darkness. My unbelieving friend, if there is anyone here this evening who has not yet believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, in that darkness, the tongue of the reprobate will not only be silenced, but it shall be everlastingly condemned. God's word declares the wicked shall be silent in darkness. There will be no more time for lies then, no more time for idle promises, No more time for the utterance of self-righteous words that defile. My friend, the wicked shall be speechless. Our Lord declares in the Gospel of Matthew, turn there with me, Matthew chapter 22.
beginning in verse 11. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. What did the reprobate say? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He was speechless. The mocking will be gone. The foolish talk will have ceased. The laughter of the profane will be shut up. And that forever. Indeed, condemned forever shall the reprobate be by his own words. By his own words shall he be condemned. The reprobate will at length find that a fool's tongue, indeed his mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The language of their king is not grace. Rather, it is the speech of Ashdod. The reprobate do not speak the pure language of grace that the prophet Zephaniah speaks of, through which his people call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. While our Lord has prepared a place for us, beloved, the reprobate must also go to their own place. Our Lord declares, Woe unto the world because of offenses. My friend, woe will be unto them that repented not to give God glory. Then will the reprobate say, Indeed, God's just judgments have overtaken us. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Beloved, believing sinner, oh, how we ought to beg the Lord for grace that when we speak, that no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth, but that which is good to the edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Beloved, do the words that come forth from your mouth, are they brought forth by careful consideration? Is what you have to say true? Is it useful? Is it kind? Beloved, do not say with reprobate, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us? But rather reckon every member you have, including that little member in your mouth, as not your own, but the Lord's, bought with his precious blood. Pray that it is the love of Christ that constrains you to glorify God with your body, your spirit, and indeed your tongue, which are his. Beloved, let not the words of your mouth be those which defileth or be words to no profit. James writes in chapter 1, verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Beloved, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove 
your own selves. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If your tongue is unruly, untamed, pray to him who declares to the raging sea, Be still, and all is calm. Beg him to quiet the raging evil of your unruly, untamed tongue. For no man can tame it, save one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord declares, Call God's Son, Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Beloved, look by faith to him who is exalted to give repentance and remission of sins. Pray that a live coal from the altar may touch thy lips, that thine iniquity be taken away, and thy sin be purged, that you may be made clean through the blood of sprinkling that cleanseth from all sin. Beloved, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ delivers us from all sin, all sin, even, beloved, the sin of that horrible tongue of yours. Praise the Lord that salvation is by the doing and dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.